Here we are in James chapter number 5, and we will not be done by Easter. Um, in case you're wondering, we are on verse 13 and verse 16 and verse 13 and verse 16 and verse 14 and verse 16 and verse 15 and verse 16. We're going to keep coming back to verse 16 every other week uh, because there are five words in verse 16 that we're studying, and I'm going to give them to you one at a time. And we did first one last time, and now we're going back to 13, and we're going to put that into where we are in our study of prayer and keep adding to it as we go. I hope you enjoy the process. It's going to be kind of fun, I think. Um, so, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Our study is on living faith, a faith that lives, not just is, but lives. And that's what we're looking at in our study. We are to be different, aren't we, in our world today, to live out our faith in a world like this. Uh, As a teenager, I recall how easy it was to hide in the crowd. I was scared a little bit. I was in a public school. Uh, there were 600 in my graduating class, pretty good-sized school. Um, and as a Christian, I was afraid to let people know it. And I hid. I hid behind uh, uh, being quiet, trying not to uh, be noticed by people, <laughs> to, to kind of fit in but not fit in. And I think sometimes we live that way, don't we? Whether at work or maybe among family members or... Uh, some other place where we try to fit in and not be noticed. And I'm going to suggest to you that those who are living out their faith are not going to be easily hid. Not in a day like today. And so that's why we are studying living faith. What is living faith? And uh, the topic we're on right now is prayer. And that ought to make us unique too. So let's talk to the Lord first and then work through our text today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for giving us the access of prayer to your throne. That even at this time, this time right now, we are in your presence with our requests. With this prayer, because it's through the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who gives us this access that we might boldly enter in and and speak to you in our time of need. And we do come with our needs. And there might be many needs represented here in this fellowship. You know that. From illnesses to loss of loved ones to uh, concerns for the future. Maybe it's family-related. Maybe it's work-related. Maybe it's just our own health. But even with all those needs represented, we have one great need today, and that is to know you better. And that's what we desire to do as we study today, is to know you better. And I pray that you might help us, because it's your word that we're studying, and it's your spirit that teaches us, and it's your will that we would like to do. So may this be a significant time right now. As we gather around your word, may it be significant in our lives. May we learn things here now 
that will not easily be forgotten, but may become a part of our faith as we live it out to your honor and glory. Help us, we pray, for this is an important time for us, and we know that you're present with us, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, when you enter into verse 13, on through verse number 20, really, we have a long paragraph on prayer. And I found this to be interesting, but just about every single commentary did this. They tried to figure out, what is James doing here? It seems like he had a thought going up to verse 11. And then suddenly he just launched out into something entirely different in verse 12. And then he came to verse 13 and said, well, I'll hit this one too. As if it was just a scattering of thoughts coming through his mind at the time. And they said, you could look it up yourself. Pull out your favorite commentary if you've got one around the house and you'll see. They're wrestling with, what's this verse 12 doing in the middle of all this? And what prompted him to go right into verse 13 and talk about prayer? And it's a puzzling thing because as you look at it, you say, is this a new paragraph or is it not? Is this verse disconnected from all the rest? The previous verses we've talked about, how to live out your faith when things were against you, that was a contest, especially that these believers were having a, a very challenging time being believers. We do know that from the end of verse number 6. But being believers, they're being mistreated by their employers. Their fund, their salaries are being withheld. Uh, the employers are using it for their own pleasures, but also thinking that somehow mounting up money is going to impress God in the end, and that's not going to work either. Uh, but the believer is struggling. You would understand it very well if your salaries were withheld from you because of your faith. We call that persecution. And there's lots of different ways of suffering, but these folks were. They were suffering. And he says, boy, it's tough out there, but there's something you need to be doing. And you guys have learned it well. There are four commands that we've already studied. Be patient, and be patient, and strengthen your heart, and don't complain. And that's where he has been in the first half of this chapter already. Working with those who were struggling, so that their faith was being lived out. And you have to have that kind of faith, if you're going to be patient. Because our reaction is not to be patient. It's to fix it. Strengthen your heart when more times than not we strengthen our argument. We strengthen our case. He says, strengthen your heart. And he says, don't complain. Because I think he knows as well. (laughs) That's the avenue we tend to choose first. Is the complaining one. Well, all of that comes down to something somewhat simple, I think. And one of them is prayer. Prayer. If you're not going to address the problem, you need to talk to the one who can. Talk to the Lord. Prayer is, it seems natural here. If you're going to do it God's way, you should turn to prayer. But the whole picture is that of dependence. 
And I'm going to underscore that. You could almost write that at the top of your chapter because every single thing that is brought up in the rest of the chapter is about dependence. And that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Depending on the Lord. Depending on the Lord. Easy thing to do? No. That's our challenge. It's an issue of faith, trust. You put all those words down to there. But we are to be reliant on God. And that should be one of the marquees of living faith, is that I depend upon God. I trust Him. And I live that way. Even when I don't know what's happening? Yes. Even when. Because prayer is a reminder of several things. One, we are needy. Right? Every time you pray, you're you're confessing that. Whether you know it or not, you are a needy person. Number two, we have to go someplace else to get that need met, because we don't have it. Number three, we know somebody who does. That's who you go to when you need. You go to the one who has. And we know who has it, for we know that God is able to meet our need. Number four, we must ask him, if he's willing to meet that need. That's the issue of prayer. We're asking him to meet the need. And number five, we trust him with the answer. That might be the hardest one in the, of the list, to trust him with the answer. What I like about that is this. The Lord always does good for us. That's a word that's not brought up as often as some of the other great words we attach to our Lord's name. But goodness is what he's all about too. That's, he's thoroughly good, isn't he? And he gives us good. Do we trust him for that? In other words, whatever his answer is, it is right and it is good. Boy, is that a hard one sometimes. Sometimes that's real hard. But that's one thing I do. When I think about what I need and what I ask and what I trust Him with, I go back to who He is. He is good. And He's always been good. Always been good. Well, verse number 16, since we're talking about prayer... We saw last week at the very end, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The emphasis we saw last week on prayer, the prayer, is a stress of the need, the great, urgent expression of need. That's the word that we studied last time. It's modified by words as effective and fervent and insistent and earnest and heartfelt it is a very strong word. It's used for begging. It's that kind of a prayer. He says, that prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, I'm going to do two things with you this morning in our study. And I'm going to go back to verse 13 and explain verse 13 to you in reference to that kind of praying. And then I'm going to explain verse 13 in light of verse number 12. 
because verse 12 seems to be the, the one left out of the story. And I think it's important that we put it right back to where it belongs. And I'm going to do both of those two things this morning. And if I repeat myself just a tiny little bit to get started, I want to get the, the, the wheels moving here so that we could catch up to where we are in verse number 13. And I want to show you something I think is fascinating. All right? Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray, the New American Standard says. Unfortunately, we need to be told to pray. It's present imperative. Big words, I know. Grammatically, that means it's a command. And a command simply comes down to one of two responses. Obedience. Disobedience. There's nothing between. It says, if anyone is suffering, he must pray. That is a command. It's not an option. It's not a good idea. It's not a choice among other choices. He says he must pray. In other words, he has to confess in the nature of what prayer is that he's needy and he doesn't have it and God does and God is who he asks to meet the need and he trusts him with the results. This does not say that the suffering goes away. Does it? It's a call to prayer. Prayer that the believer must do. Because it fosters dependence. We pray because we must. We must. It's not that we're aiming to eliminate our problems. Oh, that'd be great. The day will come, okay? We'll step into glory and it'll all be gone. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That's not down here. Down here is the gymnasium. This is where we work and work and work. And it's not easy. We know that. The Lord knows it even better. It's challenging down here. And we have so many people with voices in our world that do us a great disservice to give us the idea that if you're a believer, you should not suffer. I can't find that anywhere in Scripture. Because the folks that I read of in Scripture suffered. And they were better for it. Because they learned to trust the Lord. They put a huge burden on the believer today to make them think that there's something wrong with you when you suffer. Matter of fact, there's the voice that goes along with it that you must have sinned. Because you're suffering. And I think that's a super large disservice to the body of Christ. Makes you feel guilty about something you you haven't done. It makes you feel like God's punishing you rather than guiding you, loving you, providing for you, and meeting your need in the midst of suffering. They have distorted the image of God. And I don't like that. I'll just say it as it is. I don't like that. Because they make God look like a genie. Call him when you got trouble or make it go away. I don't, I don't like the way that, because even Jesus said, it's not my will, but yours, right? And he went to a cross to show he trusted his Father's plan. He did it. Now, these folks in this context are suffering too because they're righteous. 
They're, they're told to be patient, to have a strong heart, to wait because the Lord's coming. It says that several times. Don't complain. Don't complain. Hang in there. Look at the examples of those who did. Pray. That's the one thing he told them really to do as far as action. The rest was trust. Right? Be patient. Be patient. Strengthen your heart. Don't complain. Now pray. Do something. You say, what do I do? Pray. People would say this, and you've heard it too. I've heard it a lot as a pastor. Pastor, all I can do is pray. You know what? That's exactly what we need. That's one of the greatest things we need. But I've heard that so many times in my life. And it's just amazing to me, Pastor. All I can do is pray. These folks are suffering. He says that in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? You can see the congregation all go, me? Right? As he said such a phrase like that, he says, then you must pray. Then you must pray. You've been treated very poorly. An evil thing. That's literally what it means. An evil thing has happened to you. Has been given to you. Because you're righteous. You're suffering. Yes. Pray. Because you're dependent on the Lord. You're dependent on the Lord. See, persecution is not uncommon for a believer. Really, it's not. Our day and age, we've been sheltered from that for a lot of years. But persecution was what Jesus told his disciples to expect, right? He even told them they were blessed if they get persecuted for his name. We have the issues out there, even in our day and age, in other parts of the world. Maybe not every believer like you and I, will experience that kind of suffering. But the principle is simply there. Your response to persecution is prayer. Your response to suffering is prayer. It's the same principle all the way through. We, as Christians, are living life as we ought to. I hope. Somebody does something bad, hurts you. What should you do? pray. We're inclined to retaliate. We're inclined to protest. We're inclined to complain. And we're told to be patient and strengthen our hearts and stop complaining. We are to take our concerns to the Lord in prayer. It's a place for us to unload those burdens. I love that verse that Peter wrote. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. You're supposed to do it. And when you do that, folks, it builds your trust. It builds your confidence. It builds your dependence on Him. Because you're going to the one who can do something about it. We are to pray. That's what I see as I begin this passage here in front of you. And part of that, I know, was review. But I've told you before, the measure that we know Him is related to the measure that we trust Him. And the measure that we trust Him is related to the measure that we pray to Him. Here's a fact. And the best way we learn this reality, I think, is this. You are a dependent on the Lord. You are a dependent on the Lord. You must trust Him. 
The nice thing to know is that he never changes. Remember, we dealt with that already. He's immutable. He doesn't change. He's always compassionate. Even in your hardest test, he is compassionate. He did not let up on compassion one bit. He is always merciful, isn't he? Is he ever less merciful? No. Always merciful. Always good. And yet, when we get into tough things, we think it's up to us to save our skin. It's up to us to somehow get out of this jam. It's up to us somehow to protect ourselves, to get through this. So we use our words. We make our vows and our pledges. We, even if they're inaccurate, we do it to preserve the thing dearest to us, our own life. One thing that keeps us from prayer is pride. Pride is a big issue. It'll keep you from prayer all the time. By the way, God has an opinion about pride. He hates it. He hates it. And he doesn't like to see that in a life or in an attitude. This do-it-yourself mentality that builds so nicely in our community, in our culture, is not in the believer's vocabulary when it comes to your relationship with God. It is not do it yourself. It is not. You are dependent. And it's good that we learn this. That we are dependent upon Him. I want to read to you something here. Now just take a minute, maybe less, it's a paragraph that uh, A.W. Tozer wrote in his book called The Divine Conquest. It has to do with pride. And honestly, this is one of the best displays I'd ever had read of pride before. And when it was over, I said, boy, I never want to do that again. You ready? Listen carefully. There are two worlds set over against each other, dominated by two wills. The will of man and the will of God, respectively. The old world of fallen nature is the world of human will. Their man is king, and his will decides everything. So far as he is able in his weakness, he decides who and what and when and where. He fixes values. What is to be esteemed, what is despised, what is received, what is rejected. His will runs through everything. I determined. I decided. I decree. Be it enacted. These words are heard continually springing up from the lips of little men. And how they rejoice in their fancied right of self-determination. And with what comic vanity do they boast of the sovereign voter. They do not know or refuse to consider, that they are but for a day, soon to pass away and be no more. Yet in their pride men assert their will and claim ownership of the earth. Well, for a time it is true, this is man's world. God is admitted only by man's sufferance. He is treated as visiting royalty in a democratic country. Everyone takes his name upon his lips, and especially at certain seasons, he is feted and celebrated and hymned. 
But behind all this flattery, men hold firmly to their right of self-determination. As long as man is allowed to play host, he will honor God with his attention. But always he must remain a guest and never seek to be Lord. Man will have it understood that this is his world and he makes it laws and decides how it should be run. God is permitted to decide nothing. Man bows to him, and as he bows, manages with difficulty to conceal the crown upon his own head. Whoa. That's humbling. That's humbling. Just to read that, I thought, wow, is it really like that? Far so often, I'm afraid, we treat the issues and the challenges and the struggles and the pains and the conflicts, and the discouragements, and the sufferings, are things which belong to us, for us to solve. We apply our wisdom, we assert our strength, and we execute our plan, and we live by the phrase, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going, and when it's all said and done, we get the glory for the victory. If you call that a victory. Would you call anything that is against the declared will of God to be a victory? If we are commanded to pray and we don't pray, then have we failed? Yes. Isn't that alarming just to say it all that way? That when he said, is there anyone suffering? He didn't give them 13 ways to solve it. He didn't say, now pull yourself up by your pride and accomplish it. Use your wisdom. Use your strength. Get out of there. Figure it out. He said, pray. And if we don't pray, what's holding us back? It comes down to one thing, doesn't it? It's our way. It's pride. I don't like to say that because I'm looking in a mirror. It's just reality. This is where we are. When it comes to prayer, it's hard. But the issue of prayer is being humble, admitting you're needy, and you only trust Him to answer it. That's dependence. That's dependence. Hudson Taylor said this, and I've quoted it to you before, but I just love his quote. Depend on it, he said. God's work, done in God's way, will never lack God's supply. That's a great thing to remember. He also said, God alone is sufficient for God's own work. He also said this. We need a faith that rests continually upon a great God, expecting Him to keep His own word and to do exactly as He has promised. It is not greater faith that you need, but faith in a great God. Think about that. Because all the way through this, I talk about dependence, don't I? Talk about reliance. I talk about your need to trust Him. But the key is Him. We must know Him. 
whom we trust. We must know him who we rely upon, who we pray to. That's where we started our study, wasn't it? We talked about the character of our God. That's why we trust him. That's why we pray. And when we don't know him much, we will not pray much. Before we miss this, prayer is not the only command in verse 13. What is the other one? Sing praises. Aha! Is anyone cheerful? You said, well, the service started, I was. I don't know right I don't know right now. He is to sing praises. You know that's a command? Why do you think that needs to be a command? I'm going to talk about it more in the weeks to come, but this is something. This is visible. Faith must be visible. We can keep it on the inside and nobody will ever know. But a praying person and a singing person are visible people. The world sees that. Especially singing. But I told you I'm going to explain verse 13. I worked on that a little bit. I want to do it in light of verse number 12. You ready? Look at verse 12. But above, above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes is to, your yes is to be a yes, and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. The commentator said, but I have no idea what James is doing here. Thought he'd throw it in while he had a chance. I think it has a lot to do with verse 13. Because verse 12 is a statement of honesty. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. For whatever reason, we use these oaths, as he references here, the Jews are very good at that, by the way, to somehow make it seem like our yes is a real strong yes. Or a no is a real strong no. Or sometimes we would even use the concept of an oath just to save ourselves in the midst of a difficult spot. Because it sounds more convincing, doesn't it, to somebody else. If you say, well, I swear that's the way it is. Right? Well, they were good at that. Their culture was very good at that. They swore by the temple. They swore by the altar. They swore by the thing on the altar. They swore by the dust around the altar. They picked anything. They just say, this and that, and they're swearing by everything. And the fact is, they didn't control any of it. You can swear by heaven all you want, but you don't own it. You can swear by the earth, but that's not yours. The only thing you have is your word that you can keep. Your word is what's of value here. So if you're going to say yes, make sure it means yes. And if you're going to say no, make sure it means no. But what does that have to do with prayer? What does that have to do with suffering and all these other things? How about honesty with God? Let's start there. 
Are you honest with him? You say, what a funny question that is. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Being honest? Do you actually talk to him like he's really there? Think about that for a minute. When you pray, do you realize you're talking to him? Do you treat it like you're talking to him? How would you like, say that you were somebody that people talked to, uh, and they never looked at you. They never called you by name. But they talked to other people about you all the time. Or they not even looked your direction when they talked to you. Would that drive you crazy? And yet we say prayers before our meals. We say prayers maybe before we go to bed. We say prayers here and there. Who are we talking to? Just the sky? Just some empty room? The mortar on the walls? Who are we talking to? When you pray, you pray to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said so, right? Do you know that? And when you pray to Him, do you know that He sees you and He hears you? Matter of fact, He even knows what you need before you ask it. Find that in Matthew chapter 5. He already knows. And so sometimes we go to him and we talk all the way around it and never say what we need. That was an eye-opener for me years and years ago when I was in Bible college. I prayed like anybody else on earth. I never even realized I was actually talking to the Lord. I thought it was just a religious discipline. You just say these words, you know, and it somehow keeps your food from poisoning you or something like that. Uh, so I, 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 I was a very general prayer. I didn't know I was talking to the Father. And some guy came to Moody and he was talking about being honest in prayer. It blew me away. He says, just tell him. And I didn't realize it was that easy. For so many things were on my heart that I never told my Father. Even though he knew it. I never talked to him about it. What disadvantages I had for my own life in that. To not speak honestly with God. Not be honest with Him in prayer. You know, sometimes we don't even know the right words to say, right? Do we have help with that? Yes, we do. Romans 8 tells us that the Holy Spirit, He says things that we can't say ourselves. But here's what I do on occasion, and I'll be honest with you here. I have to be honest. Verse 12, right? There are times that I go before him and I say, Lord, I don't even know what to say about this. It's something that bothers me. I don't know how to verbalize it. I don't know the answer to it. I just don't know what to do. But that's honest. I just say, Lord, I have to leave it right here. I don't know what to do. You ever pray that way? That's just talking to him as it really is. He doesn't need you to fix the problem. Just come to Him with it. You don't have to clean it up first. Hand it to Him. It's a mess. Hand it to Him. You did it. Hand it to Him. Right? He knows all that. Far too often we we turn the prayers into some way to impress Him rather than to talk to Him. Be honest with God. Be honest with one another. 
We have this thing called fellowship. You know what that is? It's donuts. No, it's not. What is fellowship? What is it? It's a relationship, is it not? Between brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a relationship we have with one another in this thing called the body of Christ. In other words, when one part hurts, the other parts hurt, right? When one weeps, the other weeps. When one rejoices, the other rejoices. We understand the concept, but how many times have we did a disservice to the body because we were not honest with our own suffering and nobody ever knew? What's your brother and sister here for? Are they not called to pray for you too? Wait till you get later in the passage. Are they not there to pray for you too? Don't you have a wonderful ministry that's presented to you constantly? Your brothers and sisters can talk to your father about your problem. Isn't that amazing? They can talk to the same one. Many times our yeses are not yeses in fellowship. And our noes are not no in fellowship. You know how I know that? The simple question. So, you doing good today? How many times do we shield the whole thing with one word? Is your yes a yes? Pastor's meddling. The verse deals with honest words. Some use swearing, not saying bad things, but swearing by something to give credibility to their words. And it's so much better, folks. So much better in every department if we just simply speak the truth. Speak the truth. In love, Scripture says, but speak the truth. May our yeses be yeses and our no be no. We've got a lot to develop on that. But that is related to the issue of prayer. Because if you're suffering, that's honest. You must pray. Verse 14. Wait till you get to this. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders. Whoa! Wait till we deal with that one. What's the issue at hand? What's the issue at hand here? A prideful deception. We set before each other at times because we're afraid to be honest. We're afraid to show our need of prayer. I could do this. I'll be just fine. Nobody worry about me. I'll just be afraid. We don't like to show our dependence, do we? We don't like people to see that. And yet that's the very thing that shows your relationship with the Lord. And on the other side, sometimes we're afraid to show our joy in the Lord. The other side of this, where if you are cheerful, you are to sing praises. We, we conceal it all in a cocoon of self-dignity. We think it's weak to be needy. We think it's improper to be jubilant. We have a self-propriety about us where the quality of our lives is conforming to what is conventional. We follow the standards of everybody else. We match their behaviors. We, we plug into their way of doing it. In other words, we're letting the world decide for us what makes us weak. 
and what makes us rejoice. And somehow we find that happy medium in between there, between the two, and we put on a good front in front of the church. Sound harsh? I say we rob ourselves of something. We rob ourselves of something absolutely beautiful as brothers and sisters in Christ to show authentic trust in our Father. And you need to see that in me, don't you? I need to see that in you, don't I? That's honesty. That's what we're called to do. Here's another quote from Tozer. Boy, he just wrapped me in circles with these things. He says, whatever else is embraced, true Christian experience must always include a genuine encounter with God. Without this, religion is but a shadow, a reflection of reality, a cheap copy of an original, once enjoyed by somebody else of whom we once heard. And I thought, ooh, am I living out somebody else's faith here, or am I living out my faith? Is this a living faith, or is this just something I found in a catalog? You see? It gets down to something very personal, doesn't it? Very, very personal. Because I say it again, you are a dependent on the Lord. You are. Let your words match your faith. Let them match. Because living faith is not meant to be partial. It covers everything. Everything. And to the measure we know Him, it's related to the measure we trust Him. And to the measure that we trust Him, it's related to the measure that we're going to pray to Him. And the measure we glorify Him is related to the measure we depend on Him. There's a lot there, isn't there? A lot there. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for loving us and being straightforward and honest with us, telling us what our greatest needs were, the consequence of our sin, giving to us the information we needed, that you have sent your Son to be our Savior, that he has died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to give us the joy of eternal life and forgiveness and hope and mercy and love and all these things that are the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. We have all these, and you told us all these things. And it wasn't so that we could turn it into a ritual, or some sort of a religion, or some sort of a Sunday practice that required a certain dress and a certain smile and a certain song to go with it. But you've called us to a living faith. One that is between you and me, between us as a body and between you that we walk together in genuine faith, reflecting upon our dependence on you. Lord, we need you. That's reality. May we know it in our experience as well. May we walk this way with one another and with you. May it show in this world around us and in this community that this is a church full of those who have living faith. Guide us down this road, Lord. It's so contrary to what we are and what we've been. And it takes away the callousness and the crust and all the cocoon that we've built around ourselves. May we be real. May we be honest. May we trust you with all our heart. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.